0: Hi everyone and welcome to this interview. I'm your host, Sonny Gigi, and it's my pleasure to introduce today's guest. Today we have Aaron. Coming from the foster care system, for Aaron, religion was just a word. Surrounded by highly negative people and being dragged down to the lowest point of his life, Rabbi Rubin helps him find his way out. We're very excited to have him here with us today to share his journey and his experience. So without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, so today we have Aaron with us. Thank you very much for taking the time uh, coming onto the podcast and are willing to, you know, share your story with us and with other people. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, kind of your growing up and, uh, you know, what what life was like for you, uh, you know, before Chuba and pre-Chuba uh, days and just just a little uh, background about yourself. I don't have a little
1: background, a lot of background.
0: That's even better, Rosh Hashem. So I'm it. a
1: foster child. I went through the foster care system, and for me, religion wasn't really real. It was just a word. Most people they grow up and their parents are Catholic or Muslim or Jewish, and that's why they are as they are until they change it or they fall out. But for me, it was nothing. It was just a word. I grew up in Providence, but before that, like my earliest memories were from upstate New York on a farm and. That was the most time, and the one that helped me very strong is my father, putting me quit, literally, because of how wild I was. And I remember it now. I remember the things I used to do. And honestly, I'm pretty sure that that upbringing kept me somewhat sane through these very strange times. Now, when I was four, we moved from upstate in the down to Crown Heights. But I didn't have a lot of friends, and so I ended up falling in with a bunch of blacks. And I ran the streets, me and them, them and I. That was uh, my youth, you know, up until foster care became a thing. And I think I shamed for that, because if I hadn't been taken away, I think I would uh, be a gangster. I was stealing, I was eating trefort, I was hanging out with these uh, black and Muslim girls, and it was not good to say the least, but I would be in prison, dead, or literally a gangster. I have no idea, but I praise Hashem that I, I had to go through that in order to get away from that. After the cops came and took me away, which by itself is very traumatic, I put into many foster families, and I've come to understand that that experience has created within me a habit or an instinct to always have one foot in and one foot out. If you don't know whether this current family is going to be your forever family, you don't try to invest in the community, in their way of thinking, anything. You don't invest. You just stay separate. And all these years now, it's only until the past two, or three years that I really put two and two together. Where do these habits come from? And after the first three families, I finally ended up in Manhattan where the Adams family took me and my brother in forever, up till now. I consider them my family. And they instilled in me some appreciation for Yiddishkeit. And I can't say it was much of an appreciation. It was more like, you know, what are the rules you should do? And what are the words you should say mm-hmm. to fit into a Jewish community? But I didn't really care. So what I ended up doing was falling out and I, Went my own way, come around uh twenty, twenty one, I was dating non Jews, I was not keeping Shabbat. I was basically a boy for a good three, four, five years. Until a cumulative event I would say is where I was about to marry this girl. And no My foster mother, because I wasn't keeping Shabbat, she saw that at the time, well, at that time, I was living at their house. And she saw a receipt of a comic book I purchased, and it was on Shabbat. And so she calls me up, and she says, you can't live here anymore. And I just happened to be with this girlfriend, and she let me live with her. And so for the next year, I was living with this uh, Goya. Year, two years, I even forget. It's It's a while ago. You know, a Goya is a Goya, and she had habits and activities that I didn't appreciate. And so things didn't turn out. But I thought to myself, I'm going to go back and live with my parents, or I'm going to go and have my my own apartment. Let me, let me do something for myself. I got in touch with Esh Torah, and I went to Esh for nine months. After that, well, Israel was an interesting experience because I didn't really connect with religion. In Israel rather I connected with Israel the land the country the people and it gave me an appreciation for what it could be to live a Jewish life mm-hmm. and at that point it wasn't really a turning point for me to become religious or in any way shape or form it was more like opened my eyes to a new way of life or a different way of life and so over time after I came back, I started to want, like, a, a desire to, to not be that into the things I was into. I started going to Rabbi Mizraki Shiorim. I was living near where he does his Shiorim on, in Flatbush. And so I started going there. And eventually he mentioned Rabbi Aaron Ruve one time. That really changed everything. Because at this point I was working, I had my own place. There was no reason to be religious, but I'm already 25 and life really is boring when all you have is eat, sleep, uh, defecate and repeat. It's boring Mm -hmm. and I couldn't really find it in my heart to, to go on. I mean, one of the shurim he says is how many, how much can you eat? How much can you enjoy women? How much money is really going to change your life? And so I started looking for something more than just me. And that's where Robert Rubin sent me a care package. And I started listening to his history. And from a child growing up on the streets of Crown Heights, to now listening to about how Torah doesn't disagree with science. It, it was a real shocker to the system. And my background really was mundane relative to the realities of the world. The realities showed me that I can't just be a child my whole life. Because you know what, when you're in OO when you're in foster care, there's always someone to cover for you. But once you're out in the real world, there's nothing. And it was, I guess, 10 years in the making between Aish
0: in Rabbi Mizrahi,
1: that I finally figured out that the real purpose of life was never really to enjoy life. Well, you should enjoy life, but that's not the end all be all. And that was a shocker to me. And so while you could say the question was, hey, what was your background? My background was boring. I was shuffled around from place to place. There was no connection to people. I was a, a, a lonesome teenager, not a lot of friends. I was a scared kid, not sure who was going to be iman Abba within the next year. And now I have to pick up the pieces and make something of myself. The world didn't have a a place for me. It was more like if I joined the secular world, the secular world is going to tell me how to be, whether I'm going to be a man or a woman, whether I'm going to be gay or straight, whether I'm going to be happy or sad, on drugs and antidepressants or not. And all of it was really depressing. To the point where I very much was considering ending myself. Because let's be honest, if you look forward to nothing, everything is, is, is life-changing. Everything, even the smallest setback, can be soul-crushing.
0: Wow, it seems uh, like a serious amount of um, tests oh, that you went sure. through. Um, I, I understand. I understand some of the some of the points that you made. You know, I um I also uh, grew up kind of around the same uh, type of uh, people. You know, the same kind of uh, mentality. Those kind of, those kind of things. It's not a good place to be. I, I want to ask you though, what was it that you think uh, got you out of that situation? Was there was there something before you uh, started listening to Rabbi Mizrahi and Rabbi Rubin that uh, you think kind of got you out of that place
1: before all that i was dating asians and blacks and anyone i could get my hands on essentially and the shallowness made me depressed it made me feel like like we really are developed from monkeys i went to science science became my religion for many years and i found a lot of very strange peculiar inconsistencies and there were no answers from the science community so I stopped trying to look for answers and really got into drugs. Ayahuasca was one of the things I wanted to try. Maybe I'll find the answers in what they call the uh, Mother Earth, which apparently is a real thing. And What is that? Ayahuasca or Mother Earth. Both. <laughs> so ayahuasca is a Peruvian concoction of roots, leaves, all boiled up and consumed like a soup. It induces apparently vomiting, but a intense hallucination. And nine out of ten people who experience it talk about this Mother Earth who sits uh, the person down, takes them through some sort of tunnel, or the world changes around them, and this voice tells them knowledge and information about the world around them. Now, there is a Kabbalistic connection to this, and it's not fake because these herbs and these this this culture has been around in peru for a long time so i'm not trying to convince anyone to do it but that was going to be my my spiritual journey and it promised at least in my opinion to wake me up to what i was missing like to to fill the void or to The quiet you know how your heart can be really aggravated and you don't know why you're so annoyed at people, you don't know why you're so upset all the time, but you are, and there's no getting around it. That's what I was trying to to conquer or change. And so the I couldn't or wouldn't go to Peru all that quickly, and I wouldn't know whether the brew that I'm drinking in America is really what they're drinking in Peru pushed that off and and they decided that uh, perhaps the drug angle wasn't for me. So at or, and around that time, I started speaking to some of my old friends from Ash, And they mentioned that perhaps you should look into this, uh, this idea that science really doesn't contradict the Torah. Like they can go one in hand in hand. You know, you don't have to say that it's either or. And so after right. that, I started looking at the science that I already knew to find any mention or, or reflection. You know, we're, we're, we're designed and the world is designed by the reflection of God and the world above. So I looked around and guess what? It's there. If you really know what you're looking at, then you can find it. And there are some very interesting places to find God if you really do. You can look out in deep space or you, look in, you can look in DNA. And you'll find yeah. God literally sitting there saying, Hi, how are you? Now, it wasn't until Rabbi Muzrahi started pointing out that there's really no reason the Jewish nation should exist, that I started taking Judaism a little more seriously. But that didn't get me to do tshuva at all. Rather, it was intriguing, like, wow, woo, like, like as if a voodoo guy was talking to me. Cool, but so what? But a couple of years after that, I finally contacted Rabbi Rubin, and he sent me this book. it's in the package, but the book is the part that I kept. And that I still read, I still read that book all the time. But the science comes of age. This book changed everything. Because finally, the world around us is actually the handiwork of God directly. And it, it testifies to that. And in my own research, I can find evidence of God in the physical universe and in DNA, no less. And so I started to take Hashem as his opinion rather than as a set of laws and Yiddishkeit as a relationship rather than a, uh, a cane to beat people with or a set of promises to to entice people. After Torah and science. God became more like a person rather than, than an AI. When it comes down to it, I would say that it was the the binding of, it's almost like the binding of a kid at Yitzhak, where you have to give up some of what you know in order to accept new things, which is like, you know, he has to, he, he, Avram was told, oh, you gotta now go slaughter your kid. Wait a minute, I just told everyone not to slaughter their kids. Now I'm gonna slaughter my kid? No, you have to give up some of what you know, your understanding, to receive the higher level of understanding. And so part of it was me giving up this idea that I'm gonna be able to dictate to God what kind of relationship we're gonna have. It wasn't easy, and it's still not easy. But it's a lot better than being anxious or angry
0: I'm trying to think back about everything that, that you're saying because I had so many questions in the process, but your your story is so, uh, you know, captivating. I just forget about the old questions and, uh, <laughs> suck, you know. Okay, so you listened to Rabbi Mizrahi. Rabbi Mizrahi introduced you to Rabbi Rubin. Do you remember the first lecture that you saw from Rabbi Rubin or was it a movie or what?
1: Well, Rabbi well, mentioned Gehenna and he mentioned the movie uh, Gehenna by Rabbi Rubin. And so I watched that, and I was like, what? That led me down the rabbit hole of Robert Rubin. Until finally, I heard about... He mentioned uh, this cure package. I was like, I got to see what's going on here. So I wanted my hands on one of those, got one. And that was then... That was the beginning and the end of that.
0: Was it the movie or the lecture?
1: The movie itself.
0: The a no movie? Yeah. Because the movie came out pretty recent, like you know, within a year. The lecture came out uh, quite a while ago.
1: Well, I remember... The, the different uh, considerations.
0: It's great. That's that's good. That's a very powerful lecture.
1: It was very intense. Powerful. Just thinking about it gives me shivers. A lot of that stuff is uh, is deep. You know, you can't just talk about it in public. I, a lot of people that I speak to, they just don't believe it or buy into it at all.
0: Like re- religious people?
1: Yeah, religious people. You know, yeshiva bachurim.
0: I never understood that, you know? Like me, you're me. you're in a place where you're like, Immersed in Torah all day, but you don't hear anything about, you know, reward, punishments, you know, I'm this and that. I never understood how that works.
1: It freaks me out, to be honest with you. Gets me nervous. Like, what exactly is the point of yeshiva if you don't, you know, lay it out there? You know what I mean? Yeah. Are
0: you in yeshiva now,
1: or are you... Uh... I do a one-hour learning session with myself in a shul. I'm in best spending time to learn the laws of Shabbat.
0: That's the best way to go. If you don't learn the laws of Shabbat, you're not really keeping Shabbat. Right,
1: right. and it is a lot. You know, they say that you shouldn't really be worshiping Hashem for the because you're afraid of the punishment. But let me tell you, if I can tell myself, okay, I'm not going to look at this website because I don't want my my whole body torn to shreds or burnt to pieces or whatever. You don't have to give me a a a a, a toy or a prize. Just keep me away from there. You know what I mean?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Moshe Rabbeinu was terrified of this place.
0: There you go. It's a perfect example. You can't really get better than that, right? Uh,
1: Unless you have Rabbi Akiva.
0: (laughs) Sure. I'm sure he was also terrified.
1: Yeah, but he wasn't directly shown it. At least I never heard of that. Funny thing is, is that I think a lot of times we'll find that modern America has made us all have a God complex to one 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 degree or another, not because we want it, but because that's America for you.
0: Did you ever get in in contact with Rabbi Rubin? Did you ever get like any personal help from him?
1: Yeah. So I went to a assure that he had put on in Flatbush on Ocean Parkway. I don't remember exactly the name, but at that time I was offered to to my boss was going to give me a car or I was going to go and spend time at Yeshiva. And so he said, "Well, go spend time at Yeshiva." And that's what I did for a little bit, and it really it really allowed me to understand that time I spent, it wasn't long, but I was able to know the halachas of, you know, keep what is kosher, how to do daily life with with halacha, how to actually think like a Jew, you know what I mean? Yeah. That was very now in hindsight that was what made it possible for me to take Yiddish Christ seriously. Otherwise, I would just be like, you know, continuing with the lectures, but not really doing much else. Like, very good. I'm entertained by the lectures, but now I got a girlfriend to go home to, whatever. That time that I spent, it was only like two or three months, but because he said it was the right way to go, I was like, all right, whatever. Going, to go, going, going, gone. I went, and I never looked back. Now, I... Uh, Come a few years later and I'm here in Lakewood and a situation occurred where I had to leave my apartment in a hurry. He contacted one of his uh, he contacted one of his students and his students um, sent me a list of uh, apartments that I could rent in a hurry. And that really was clutch. I was uh, looking at last week's uh, listings and, you know, Internet listings and what have you but then he sent me this Lakewood listing stuff and I was like, "Oh, perfect, just what I needed." When I needed it. Baruch Hashem. Plus I like to keep in contact with him to uh to to I like to do like checklists and stuff like that. So when I'm when I'm not inspired to to go learn, I know that I've sent the rabbi a picture like, "Okay, I'm going to learn an hour today right now. I'm starting now." And doing that over a few weeks meant that I have a chazakah, and I want to keep it going. And so he doesn't mind. And so I just keep doing it, checking in with him, saying, okay, now it's going to be learning time. It makes it easier. He's really a, rab- a people's rabbi. You know? yeah. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. lots of rabbis that are people's rabbis, but a modern rabbi that is willing to say what he's willing to say and do what he's willing to do is really far in between. And so... It's almost like he's Chinese, you know what I mean? In that he seems to work for way more than there are hours in the day. Or is that Indian? I don't know, who's got the harder work ethic?
0: Uh, probably both, yeah. But uh, y- you're right, you're right. Uh, he-, he definitely ded- dedicates a lot of his time um, t- for th- for the sake of uh, Amisad, you know?
1: The thing, I think, is to have such a rabbi, is to have such a person in your life who is willing or desires willing and desires to push the unwilling forward you know what i mean like i'm a willing candidate but when i started this it was more like okay let's just uh let's just be busy have something to do you know what i mean or to to be entertained or to to be part of a group to be part of something bigger than i am but after a while it was like no this is this is really important and one of the shiurim that he talks about how hashem is living with us, through us. Our eyes are his eyes. Our mind is his mind. We, he hears our thoughts like as we think it. That, that really is, that's a moment to take a minute and say, wait a minute, okay, okay, think about that one there for a second. If God is thinking with me, then that means it's not just the physical choices that I make, but actually the mental gymnastics that I go through that can also play out. In other words, if I went right, he could figure out, in his infinite ways, what I would have been like and what the world would have been like if I had gone left. But If I thought something nasty, he could also figure out what life would have been like if I hadn't thought something nasty. Or vice versa, I thought something good and I could have thought something nasty. He could also play that out in the multiverse theory that says that there's infinite worlds and infinite universes in which all our choices are playing out. He can play out every little thought. That's a little wild, and it's only Rabbi Reuven who's willing to say this stuff. I don't know any other rabbi who's willing to actually say, "Listen, you're gonna go ahead and pass on eventually. You're you're gonna become muksa eventually. Everything is really being accounted for. It's as it, it's like in the Gehenna movie. It talks about the near death experiencers. Well. I had an experience like that, not near death, but I was meditating and things got weird. I did two deep meditations in my life, and one of them showed me these rabbis who were super rabbis. I mean, you look at them and you know, rabbi, rabbi, times a million, that's a rabbi. But one of them directly on my left and going around to opposite me was, there was a brilliant white light coming out of him. And... From him, all coming all the way around to my to my right hand, there was a it was like there was a a circle of rabbis with me on one end, and and they're all part of the circle. And so on my left, there was a gray, and then it got brighter and brighter until the the brilliant white rabbi. And then on my right, from his right all the way to my right side was another bunch that got dark, like darker than night, like they absorbed light. But they were all the same exact person. Now, I don't know who that is, but I was not high. I was not stoned. I was just meditating. And I was doing my utmost effort to keep my own mind out of the equation, my own personal thoughts out of the equation. And I just was observing. And all this rabbi was doing was smiling at me. It was just like, hi, how are you? But you're not here. You're in my head. And I can see how it could be taken as you're a weirdo, sir. You're just sick. You need some drugs. Or you've seen something deep. And I'm taking it to think that I've seen something deep. And what is the deep thought? Well, enter Rabbi Ruving. Everybody is basically in the middle. At some points we go down, some points we go up, and then we return to the middle. That's what it was like to me. It was showing me that we all have this, or at least I think that this is what it means, or at least it means to me that we all have this this set of paradigms. And at any point in time, we are entering a holier paradigm or we are entering a more tummy paradigm. And that's what that represents to me. And this was at a time when I was still dating my Asians and blacks and all that. So I was tummy as it gets. And where was I sitting? Right next to the black one. That's where I was sitting. Where was the holy one? Directly across from me. Opposite. Totally true. Like if Mm. I think about it now, personally speaking, that's exactly how it was. Mind-boggling.
0: What exactly is this meditation that you do?
1: I nullify my identity as much as I can. I just focus on breathing. I just literally make breathing some sort of thing I'm excited to do. I get weird about breathing. I uh, I gotta breathe in. Gotta breathe out, yeah. It's... mm, It's... Yes, out. And I just close my eyes and I focus on the physical body breathing in and out. And I just go for hours as much as I can. Every other thought doesn't exist. My body doesn't exist. I'm trying to not fall asleep. This has happened. I pass out occasionally I just wake up I'm terribly pain. But when I'm successful, the most amazing things happen. One time I was in a A vacuum, as if I'm in deep space. There's just nothing around me. And then a house, small, comes rushing up to me. And suddenly I'm inside the house. I'm sitting at a tiny little table. And a voice tells me, look around. I look around and it's a cluttered mess. And then it says, this is... Your life, this cluttered mess of the house. This is your life, your internal mind, your life, as it represented by your mind. This is it. This is your life. And you got to calm down because I was freaking out. I remember being like, what? What? And then it took an item from the mess and it put it down in front of me and it was a boat. This boat represents your will. This is your will. This is you in your real identity. The directions you think of are where it goes and this boat, it doesn't live in your conscious mind. It lives in your habits. And then I woke up. I just mm-hmm. popped out of it. And that that's still, those two are the only meditations that I remember. Like I've had many weird ones where I saw strange like creatures and all sorts of stuff, but I don't remember the details. These two, I remember. And that's like remembering a dream. To me, that's Hashem giving me a message or a nihuah, personal nivuah, just for you, sir. Mm-hmm. You need to wake up. and. Ever since then, it's always been in the back of my mind that I need to wake up, I need to organize my life, I need to organize my everything. And it wasn't until many years later that I finally figured out what it is I need to organize. And it had nothing to do with my college education or my business or my job. It had to do everything with where I'm going to be when I'm Moksa. And it wasn't until I was willing to take the steps that the the pieces fell into place. You could you could really see Hashem's hand wherever you look. Mm. And uh, I would recommend it if if you have that kind of time on your hands, because it takes practice, and uh, you got to be willing to accept that you you're not really sure what you're gonna find. Because whenever I go back to that house, I get very scared. Like the inner fears, they just explode. Like some, I like fear like you have no idea. I have I have a conscious bias towards religion just because i've been burnt by religion so often and so it takes me a long time to put what i find into play with with what the torah says like to put the two in the two together and it's not for the faint of heart it can lead to bad places it's kind of like how they say you shouldn't uh, do kabbalah unless you know a lot of torah Similar to that, when things are getting messy in your life, it's kind of like okay, I gotta remember that this is Hashem's hand. I gotta remember that I am a miracle. My life only exists because God made miracles for me. And there's a a dream that I had when I was like three. And in this dream, now to my understanding, we're not supposed to even remember dreams. And this dream had me floating away. I jumped off of a Dresser, and I was going to land on a mattress, but instead I I just stopped and I hovered over the mattress. Then I just started floating above it. And now that's not physical reality, it is a dream. But to me, it's always been a case that I can count that as a miracle happening for me. Now, granted, it wasn't a dream. All sorts of reality are, you know, not part of the equation. But whenever things go bad, I remind myself that just as the mind doesn't know the difference. Between a movie and reality, instead we get invested emotionally, so too it doesn't know the difference between a dream and reality. It's only when we wake up and the critical thinking reignites that we finally realize, oh, that was a dream. Okay, at the time, I was experiencing a miracle. A miracle happened to me and my body has no clue one way or the other. Take it for what what you want. But to me, that is an emotional underpinning towards everything is Hashem, Gamzul Atayvah, and Baruch Hashem, because He already made miracles for me,
0: like like the ones you've mentioned, or or different different things.
1: No, no, no. This was literally a dream as a child. Yeah. I've always yeah, I've had dreams, but but the ones yeah. I've mentioned. You mean the uh, the rabbi that I saw or the house that I went to?
0: Yeah, or even like like physical physical miracles, like uh, you know. Uh, Getting you out of certain situations, I'm sure you, I'm sure you've been in situations where you know you're in a bit of trouble, and Hashem kind of helped you out there.
1: Well, I look at the whole idea of me being taken away to foster care as literally saving me from the streets, because that was the angle I was going towards. If that isn't a miracle, I bet it is. Um, you see, there's one thing that I count as a miracle, but it's not directly obvious. You see, I was uh, touring around when I had free time in Israel. I would tour around with my backpack and go off into the woods. No one would see me for a few months. A few months? Yeah, I went off for a month at a time, just off into to, the to woods.
0: The... Like you would like, like camp, like camp out? Or...
1: Yeah, you know, got myself a tent, sleeping bag. Yeah, the only thing I needed to go purchase on the way was find some, uh, some food. I would bring pita and jerky and I would make a little fire and heat it up. And that would be my meal. And so I count not having been killed by some randoms as a miracle. Because now that I talk to people about it, they say, how did nobody, what? How? I don't know. I just did. Nobody attacked me. Everyone was just like, hi, hi, how are you? I met the craziest people, man. This one dude sitting on the side of a mountain, a tzaddik, maybe even Eliyahu Navi I'm just going up a mountain. And then there's this rabbi figure guy learning Torah. He's got a little water, a little snack, and he's on a rock in the middle of a mountain or in the middle of nowhere. He's just learning Torah. I don't know what safer it was. He was speaking Hebrew. I just was there. I was like, yeah, I'm going to hang out with you. I'm going to smoke my cigarette. You're cool. Who knows who this guy is? Crazy. But as to a real miracle, I wouldn't say that I've seen like a real-life miracle, but I count my... My my life up till now is one long on running miracle because I've lived in like sketchy places. And just the last place I lived in Newark, New Jersey, before I left, four people were killed just like around the corner from me. And uh, I've come to understand that that place I lived in was notorious for homicides. So the fact that I survived, I mean, lots of people did. But a Jew living in Newark, not so shy (laughs)
0: And knew you were Jewish.
1: I'm wearing yarmulke and tzitziot. Ki- if they don't know, I'm oh, Jewish. So I,
0: oh, so this is this is already you were like. Uh,
1: I was already pushing my Frumkite up in the levels. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's definitely. Uh, that's definitely. Especially with anti-Semitism everywhere.
1: Well, I'll tell you, the reality is a little flip it, on the flip. So the the Jew hate that I experienced was a little different than what I thought I would. You see. When I went, when I moved to Newark, not very religious, not very, I would wear a cap. You couldn't see I was wearing tzitzis. But when they don't know that you're Jewish and then they find out, that's when they get angry. Mm. But if they knew you were Jewish all along, they actually respect that quite intensely, like intensely in the way that uh, somebody who who was just helped on the side of the road or you gave them a bunch of money just because you were feeling generous. Mm. It's as if they're like, oh. A man is a man, a woman is a woman, and a Jew is a Jew. You know what I mean? Like You are being what you said you are. You're doing your your work, and thank you for that. It's a whole different breed. It's when they find out that the person they were hanging out with was a Jew all along, and he doesn't act the Jew, that's when they start hating the Jew. They don't know who is a Jew, so they go and act out against the visibly Jewish people. But why? It's because they know Jews... In their circles, have done nasty things, and they don't appreciate that. At least that's the way I'm reading it.
0: Because Hashem uses the goyim as a stick.
1: Right. That's the and way. it's that's it
0: basically is. the Hashem's message.
1: Yeah. It could have been you. Look at uh, Turkey, or be- or better yet, you know that Africa is splitting in half. Africa, the continent, the continent of Africa, yeah, is slowly like unzipping, and hmm. there happens to be. One of the prophecies stating that um, Har Habayus, I think, will will be split in half, like during the end of times. And I think to myself, Hashem is always doing things slowly, mm-hmm. usually slow, 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 and steady. And now we see things are getting weird in the world. It's like pa, it's like uh, Paro's Egypt all over again. Men are women, women are men. But here's this massive chasm that scientists say will become an ocean and it's unzipping a quarter of Africa. And Israel is attached to Africa. What's to oh, say that this won't unzip in a hurry? And put another one of those check marks for prophecies that came through in our life. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Very scary. It, Very
1: scary. It's really not. It's not scary. This is this is why I I I wake up I'm like, yes, I'm a Jew. Woo! You know, I won. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: How many people are gonna be sitting there thinking my Father, lied to me now I have to find a Jew and hope and pray that he will learn and teach me what my father, my grandfather, going all the way back to Nimrod, should have taught me how much hate will the average Gentile at that time have for his entire ancestry? <laughs> Can you imagine what life would have been like if the 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 yishmam or, or during Ma'an Torah it says Hashem came from the west, I think it was from the West. He came from the West. So the Rashi asked, why? Because he was going and offering all the other nations the Torah before he gave it to the, to the Jews. And it's, Chazal says that they all asked what was inside it, and they all found, figured out different reasons why not to take it. But here's the multiverse. What if one of them said, nah, you're God. Look, the whole world has stopped. Okay, I've never seen any of my gods do this. Therefore, we're going to put away our preconceived notions. We're choosing you. You just showed up. As far as we can tell, you just showed up. But we're choosing you anyways, because God only knows what you are is way more powerful than what we got. So we're going with you and whatever this is anyway. They're going to be the ones that say Nasev and Ishmael, the Kushim, multiverse. The Kushim are now the Jews. We got the Dayenu part. You know, all the promises. He said, okay, maybe we got Israel. But Hashem works in mysterious ways. Now the Kushim are the ones who received the Torah. Why? Because he offered it to them. We're lucky to be the Jews that the Torah was instilled into. And uh it's a good enough reason to be grateful to be awake. You know?
0: So uh, yeah, I mean I think I think a lot of a lot of the problems that we have is uh, a lot of people, I'm mean, gonna use the word people, they they modify the Torah to their liking and to the uh people that That's they're speaking wide. to. Hmm?
1: Yeah, this was my issue. I was trying yeah. to Play to the flute, and Hashem would dance to my tune.
0: They don't. They don't. They don't know the truth. You know. They. They don't. They don't know. They only know one side of it. They know the good, the love part of it. You know. Everything's gonna be okay. Just do a few things, and you're gonna be all right. Christianity, but you see, right? And then you see people like you see rabbis like Rabbi Mizrahi, Rabbi Reuben and they all of a sudden come and shock people, and it's like, whoa, this is this is new stuff, but not everyone unfortunately um heeds their advice you know a lot of people aren't like you that have that special i don't know how you how you want to call it they they, they they're open you know to 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 accepting the truth you know it's really not them speaking they're just telling us what the torah says yeah so you know brooch you were one of the uh one of the uh you know m- many people that are got saved from you so uh, i want I to ask that you that <laughs> well, that's exactly that's exactly it. You know, it's not yeah. for us to like. We just got to do it. We're and gonna like the reward for it later. Yeah. yeah hey, I, you that. I
1: I I wish they talked more about the what that reward is. It would make it a lot more tangible. But on the flip side, what I've learned from I don't know, I guess living is that we forget the good and we remember the bad. Yeah. Humanity, mm-hmm. man. We aff- apparently we evolved evolved to. Avoid the tigers eating us, and so we don't need to remember that the the steak was great last night as much as we remember that when the dogs stop barking, we start running. Why? Because something got the dog. Evolutionary theory will really teach us a lot about Hashem's ways. If you just learn about enough about, you don't have to believe it because I don't. I mean, the evolutionary theorists themselves are changing their opinions all the time. The dates, the opinions, the science—it's all changing all the time. But underlying it is the premise that DNA doesn't lie. And one of the best things about DNA is that you can, you can look at it. It's like, okay, here's the string of DNA. And one of the things that I found that really shocked me and really brought me to, I would say closer to the fold, is that if you look at how they're structured, there's a bunch of pieces of DNA, and that makes up like this little clump. And then there's this cutoff. There's a bunch more pieces that are cutoff. Now, if you look at it, it goes 10 pieces, five pieces, six pieces, Five pieces. Yud, hey, vav, hey. Yud, hey, vav, hey. All through our DNA. The stamp of God right there. And now Hashem is showing the science. Here it is.
0: A lot of them don't want to
1: believe. And that's why we have something called the choice. He put us into the generation where we would have the choice. The choice to to believe what we said we would believe when we went up there to Shemayim and we complained. We said we didn't have the money, we didn't have the looks, we didn't have whatever it was, but now we have it all. And yet we treat Yiddishkeit like Christianity. It's shameful, but it's what was prophesized. The dar dar kelev. No surprises. And this is why I'm grateful of my upbringing. My upbringing allowed me to see through People's words and see how the actions speak louder than words, especially living with people who do brutal and nasty things. Because I was zochet to to see that at a young age, when someone talks to me, I can know basically where they're coming from, and that allowed me to not get mixed up with the wrong people. You know, yeah. if I did, if I had to learn those lessons now, I may, uh, you know, God only knows.
0: Well, let me let me ask you this. Um but what would you say that the hardest challenge
1: remembering the hardest challenge is remembering the purpose. No joke to say that in the morning is the hardest in the morning. And in the evening is the hardest time to remember my, my inspiration and to remember my desire. Like during the day, during work, it's like, I'm always remembering the, the, the sheer. I'm always remembering the desire to get close to Hashem. But when it comes nighttime, I want to read. I want to relax, wind down. And that's when the Aids are just ignites. And then in the morning, I want to put, go put hit the snooze button. I don't want to go to shock beat, put on in. That's the hardest time. The morning and the evening is when I really got to sit and remind myself what it is I'm looking forward to and why it is I'm avoiding the things that I spent years enjoying.
0: What are some of the goals that, that you have now from, from here on out?
1: just learning for the sake of knowing the halachot nitty and gritty, like down to the dirty details, everything about it. Everything about Shabbos is, it's my thing. Like at an hour a day, whether I'm like, if even if it's just like reading my notes, I have, I write notes. And so I just, let's say I don't have the patience. Sometimes I just don't, like I'm all, but that time that I set aside, I, I have a lot of pride in it now because I'm able to, one, first of all, reference real halakhat. And two, I'm able to be more confident in my in my Shabbos keeping. Like, I used to think that you could turn on, like, my phone, or I could turn on TV, or I could turn on... I could do whatever I want, just with my elbow, right? Or my knuckle. And that's how I was losing my, like, oh, Shabbat! Woo! No problem with my, my knuckle. No problem, right? Wrong. Learning. An hour a day. Now, that is great for those who are able to sit themselves down. But before I did that, I would write a journal just of my day, like woke up at seven, woke up at eight, woke up at nine, ate breakfast or did this, did that, did that. All throughout the day, at the end of the day, I would have this little journal and that would remind me that of what I did and it would give me the opportunity to try and change to see where there was time available because I wasted it. So I don't want to waste it at seven and eight. I want to instead eat dinner at that point. And so over the years, it just became a habit to, to write down everything and then try to fit in, like, what is it that I want to, like, what are my goals? Okay, I, I actually want to put on filling. you know, I want to get into that. I want to put on tzitzit, so I, I want to get into that. It's, it's how I was able to start, like, putting on tzitzit. Not filling, not a kippah, not keeping kosher or Shabbat, just putting on tzitzit. Why? It was easy. It was free. It was cheap. It was nothing. I just put it on. I make it, Raha, kiss. Go. But that opened the door. After that, I was looking for time to work out. And so I was like, okay, listen, I'm waking up at 8. Let me wake up at 7. I woke up at 7. I did my workout. I had some time. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start praying. After I work out, I'm going to pray. And that's how I got into prayer. All because I found time. Keeping a, a, a diary of the day. Not even like, oh, dear diary. She doesn't love me. Oh, wait, she does. Oh, no, she doesn't. Nah, that's not the diary. The diary is literally just a throwaway diary. Take each page of every day and throw it away. It's just basically gibberish. But it registered everything as an event rather than having passing memories. Maybe I did that. Did I do that? I don't remember. No, everything goes on paper. And then once I have it on paper, I then reorient where I want to spend my time. Exercise. Also, pray. Sit, sit. Also kosher. If anything, that was the most powerful thing to doing any any sort of abidas Hashem.
0: You never know. You never know what might uh, help a person, motivate a person. What about five, ten years from now? I mean, do you, do you plan on keeping the same schedule? Do you plan on growing more. What's what's your
1: goal? Hashem, I wanna get up at six, at five. I wanna push myself that way. Get my prayer done early, get my workout done early. I wanna do my learning early. I want to do my business early. By like t- 9 or 10 o'clock, I want to be able to go work a second job, like have my business done, and then work my job, and then go back to yeshiva at like 5 or 6. Go back to literally go to a yeshiva course, maybe till 10. That, in your session, have a yeshiva course. Like a real deal. Like, okay, ready? I'm coming. It's 4.45. I'll be there in 10 minutes. Now I can't do that. I got to work. Maybe even get married. Whoa. Is that the Shem?
0: How old are you?
1: I'm thirty-five.
0: Thirty-five. It's not bad. It's still possible. You don't look that old. Uh, I'm sure you don't have a. I'm sure you won't have a problem.
1: It's not the show. <laughs> if anything. I want to be able to to devote more of my time to helping the people who help me, which includes Rabbi Reuven and Mizrahi and the other rabbis that I haven't mentioned. There's a lot of people that I owe a debt of gratitude to, and I want to be somebody who can do something about it, rather than just like doing you know some code work or some videos which i haven't even done i made promises and did do it i was just going to say this is this is the 10 year plan
0: got it well i mean you're definitely definitely helping uh helping out with this uh you know this little podcast interview here i mean you know i i i tell people that we every single person that we have on here is like a totally different person there's no like similar story type of person everyone has like their their personality, their story, their background, their history. That's why it's very important. In the beginning, I ask you tell us a little bit about yourself because there's definitely going to be someone that's going to relate. Someone's going to be in a similar past. Someone's going to be, you know, the same people, hung out with the same people. They like, oh wow, I was like that, you know, or or I am like that. And look now, I now I can get out of it. Look how how much better my life is out of this mess way, that I'm in.
1: way better off. Way better off. Let me tell you, life now is full of bright light. It used to be where there was no purpose, just you know, what's my next fix? I'm gonna go to another concert, I'm gonna go on another trip, I'm gonna go meet another girl, I'm gonna go with my friend, we're gonna go to Hawaii, we're gonna go to Denver, we're gonna go to you know, Cancun. How many I mean okay, you saw a waterfall, then you saw a bigger waterfall and then the biggest waterfall Bedlock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know, it's just so boring. With all this being
0: said now, what kind of advice would you give somebody that's in the same position as you, like what was in the same position as you? What kind of advice would you would you give someone to help them, guide them?
1: If anything, I, the answer is really the advice I would give myself, like not even somebody else, just me. I knew about Gehenna and Ganadin when I was a kid, then the... Life choices that I made up till now would have been diametrically opposite. And so if there's any advice I could give to anybody, it's to sit yourself down in the mirror or better yet, no mirror. Close your eyes and imagine a outcome that you would have desired today. Well, if I was religious, what would my outcome of today have been like? Try to process that through. And well, let's let's do it for a minute. If I'm not religious and I'm coming home to a, a happy family, but she's a Goya and then I become Muxa, I pass on and I have to find out the hard way that Gehenna is real and that there are repercussions for me being happy but ignorant. Will I be that excited come 80? And so I've always been one to just close my eyes and imagine I'm 80 and the things that got me happy today, will I be happy about them tomorrow? Next week, next year, 50 years from now, if I make it in your session. I don't know. But I know that I won't be happy that I smoked a cigarette today. If anything, I'll probably be upset. like You fool. Why are you still smoking cigarettes? Remember that we're going to be 80 and we're not going to remember which car we drove or care. We're not going to remember the third girlfriend from last year or care. We're not going to notice how much money we spent on chicken parm sandwiches, nor will we care. We'll care about some other things that we don't care about today. Kids, if I had known that I would want children, I wouldn't have dated all the girls. If I had known that I would want a connection to something bigger than me, I wouldn't have taken all the drugs. It, connected, it created such connections to, to, to YouTube and to comic books and to science that really is kind of hollow, pointless, wastes. But the drugs connected me to it in ways that are... Mind-boggling, because such a strong potent interaction creates a, a habit network in the brain that doesn't let go, and why create bad habits? if anything, I would warn anyone what today was a perpetuation of a bad habit that you would like to get rid of Let's not even talk about religion yet. let's just first talk about I don't know not dying due to cancer over a cigarette not uh, not creating an inability to connect to a woman because of uh, a on the internet, or even just comic books. You can't have a good friendship or a, friend, a human relationship because you're associating what these people are doing with what you read on paper. It breaks the, the, the connection. The, the, the endorphins should be hitting off when your friend makes a joke, not when the comic book character makes a joke, not when the movie figure makes a joke. Mm. It should be when your personal friend or your actual wife. If I had known that back then, I would have been a different person. And if there's anything I could say to anybody, it's just remember that when you're 80, you won't care about the movies you watched. And I'm glad that every day I was man enough that I didn't go with the emotional flow and become a homosexual or become a, one. Of, I was about to become one of these people who takes ayahuasca all the time and has dreads down to his knees. And has a, a a blue, orange, yellow, green, and gray turban, like the kind of stuff that I was into, man. Wild mushrooms. Hey, want to have a mushroom trip? I have a friend who still is having his mushroom trip. Really? Yeah. At least he lived to tell the tale. A lot of my friends did not live to tell the tale.
0: What something got like messed up?
1: They. Uh, some of them got diseases that you don't unget. One of them is in a mental hospital or something. I haven't. I've had his knees were broken. I don't know. He got himself in a tough space. And I haven't spoken to him in a, such a long time. A lot of them are just, you know, overdosed. Some of them gang related. You know, you're trying to buy from the wrong person. He robs you. You want to? I want to take revenge. Well, yeah. I don't know if it's helpful, but always remember that we're going to become muksa has has been what what keeps me on a straighter and narrower. Yeah, not to be like you know glory gory about it, but. But that's what it comes down to. It's like when I want to like yell at my nieces and nephews. It's like no, 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 calm down. I'm gonna have some of these in the future. I gotta figure out how to deal with them in the cheap and easy way. And how's the cheap and easy way to deal with it? Hang out with my nieces and nephews. Don't lose my mind at them.
0: Good practice.
1: Yeah, practice on their someone else's kids. It's great. If anything, if anything, it would be amazing if we could practice Yiddishkeit. In a VR world, I've been thinking about it. And wouldn't it be crazy if imagine you put on a pair of VR goggles or maybe not even VR goggles. You ever play Pokemon Go or any of the AR games? You hold up your phone, right? And the camera projects onto your screen what you see in front of you. But it adds things to it. And it says that, Chazal say that when B'Tzalov was creating the Mishkan, he was combining letters. And then, boom, here it is. So what happens if in AR we can start showing people the letters that make up reality? And then they have to go find out how in the Torah this connects, how this makes any sense, how reality is actually part of the of the plan that was written in the Torah. And then by doing so, they get a little bit of value, a Bitcoin, whatever it is, a Torah coin, a kosher coin. That would be wild. I mean, I don't know what to do with a kosher coin, but at least you can prove that you're somewhat Jewish. You know, I mean, somebody who says I'm Jewish. Yeah, OK, show me what you did that makes you a Jew. Ugh. I have a paper from Rabbi uh, uh, Maurice Flicking Flickingschlein that uh, I met online. And I made that name up. I would say to everybody that we got to remember that just like men have their place and women have their place, Jews have their place. And there's some places we shouldn't be in. There's some jobs we shouldn't take, no matter how kosher or good idea it seems. There's a guy I know, he's an ex-con, and he hates us Jews until he met me. Why? He doesn't know Jews. He, hasn't, he knows only one. When he was in prison, there was a chassid that would come around, not to throw chassidim under the bus, love chassidim, but there was this chassid that would come around as the representative for the owners and investors of this prison. And he and the other inmates were abused. And he looked at this one Yid as the very core, core of the abusers. And I would say to that Yid, you shouldn't take that job. That's not a job you should take. I don't care about the rest of your family. They're not my family. Well, I care about them in the way we care about each other. But ultimately, you couldn't make them any in many ways. When this was offered to you, you shouldn't have taken it. There's some places we don't belong in. And it doesn't matter what our personality is. Okay, you're a great bean counter. Count beans for a kosher situation, not a trafe situation. When they find us in clubs, it it embarrasses Clystral. There's some places we shouldn't be in professionally, personally. And when it comes down to it, we shouldn't never have left Goshen. Just, you know, bide our time. Keep the mitzvahs. Okay, life is boring, right? We're going to be muxa eventually anyways. This is it so hard to say that we shouldn't just like, try to max out the eternal world rather than this one. But uh, you know what? Deaf ears. I would love to say this to the top of my lungs, to at the top of the mountain, but falling on deaf ears. So what's the answer for me? The answer has always been be the example. Be the example. A lot of rabbis can't say stuff that makes people uncomfortable. Well, what's my point? It's simple. If we don't take God seriously and the Muslims take Hashem more seriously than we do, what does that account for us? Hashem does not appreciate us playing games in a shul. We go to shul to daven. We go to shul to, you know, survive. Not to uh hang out and chill with our friends. Find the desire to want to know the truth. Even if you're going to ignore it, at least you know it. You know, right. you can't be one of those guys who goes to the IRS and says, but I didn't know. That ain't how it works. Right. Yeah, I guess don't be that guy.
0: Your story was one that was very interesting. And it's definitely going to help a lot of people, like I said. So I wanted to to thank you, Owen, for, again, doing this for us, taking the time out of your day. You're even doing it now, you know, while you're at work. And we, we appreciate it. And uh, thank you for supporting. It's definitely going to influence people you know, we we really thank you for your time. So,
1: hey, honestly, I gotta thank you guys over there with the rabbi because you know what? When it comes down to it, there's a big instinct in me to, to to point out that a lot of us don't take God seriously at all. Hitler is God's hand. Don't forget that he was not what is coming. The plans that are coming, I I keep my ear to the ground, not to the television, so that I hear what's coming. The plans in play, they're not even being hidden shamelessly out there in the open. No one will believe it even if they read it. That's, that's how they hide what they're doing. And the stuff that's coming is soul crushing because a lot of people say, oh, CRISPR babies, they're going to be, you know, children with no defects. Well, they're also going to have no human rights. Now, what can you do with an enormous population of people that don't have human rights? Ever see a slave army? Well, that's what they say is coming, an army of people similar to Arabs who will die for whatever reason they are they have to, and we can't fight them. But hey, listen, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Maybe it's real, maybe it isn't. But the technology is being sold to us as if we're going to have designer babies. And so, when it comes down to it, we got to pray so hard because COVID was nothing compared to what's coming and we can't survive if anything it's those that consider themselves Jewish who will not survive and the ones who will survive are those who don't even understand or know that they're Jewish they won't know Hashem will wake them up eventually how do I know this like I said I got some crazy friends in some crazy places and they tell me the down and dirty one of them is a Muslim his father works for the Egyptian government. He tells me really psycho stuff terrorist plots, cults, groups for murder, groups for hire, stuff that I didn't want to know. But he wants to be makar of me. He wants me to be a Muslim. And he has a house in Borough Park. And he tells me what's the Muslim plan? To be makar of all the cops. And it turns out that it's happening and it's working. They're being makar of the cops. The cops are converting because they know that Christianity has no teeth anymore. And they want to be with the biggest bully on the block. And so that's what they're doing. And they're doing it in mass, big numbers. We're not even noticing because guess what? Our media, they're all being funded by the same government that funds CNN. I look at that at the news as an opportunity for Hashem to show me where our enemies want us to go. And then I have to give myself a a reminder that these are people that have very nefarious, or at least in my opinion, they're nefarious motives. And I got to snap out and see where the truth lies. The truth is that Hashem is bringing the prophecy that Avram's children will inherit the world to fruition. of with Christianity, but now Ishmael with Islam. And so that's what's happening. And when the police... Receive that phone call to stand down as the Muslims rise up violently. That's where we'll see the hand of Hashem and who is really tight with Him. And Mm -hmm. so, before that even happens, and before that, before it comes to that, I would tell anyone who cares about Yiddishkeit to stop thinking of Hashem as Yashka. Hashem is not Yashka. He won't love you and pet you and say Tzadi just because you pray. If you do the naughty-naughty with the girls, and you go pray afterward, if you go you're going ahead and you're going to do treif, but keep Shabbos, Hashem's not Yashka, but He isn't Allah either. He's not this set, set, set. He's not always trying to beat us up. He wants us to enjoy life, but do it the kosher way. And That's what Rabbi Reuven's all about. He's showing us the kosher way to do a real life. Live life kosher.
0: We're no longer strangers, so Baruch Hashem. Anyways. Sounds very interesting. All right, man. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. Bye, bye, A very special thank you to all our amazing guests who show real love avati Sled by taking the time out of their busy schedules and sharing their ups and downs with us. All for the sake of Amisled. Sled. May Hashem continue to bless you a thousand fold. If you enjoyed this video, you can find more of these podcasts on our website at www.bezatashem.org If you are on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to the channel to hear more highly influencing lectures and stories like the one you heard here today. Thank you for watching and Bezat Hashem, may we all have the merit to return to Hashem. Okay, so today we have our